burning Bon Jun Ho's mother, not to be confused with Darren Aronofsky's mother, in another round. What do these three movies have in common? We'll try and figure that out in this week's episode of The Algorithm. Hello, hello! Welcome to The Algorithm. I'm Zach Kendall. I'm Dustin Liu. And um, we're joined today, well, as always, by producer Pierce. Hey, hey. And briefly by uh, returning guest, um, resident Matrix expert, um, all-around good guy, Colin. Hey. <laughs> I, I think our first ever returning guest. Yeah, well. The people love me so much. Chrono- chronologically, depending yeah. on our our uh, one live episode, but we'll yeah. see. Uh, <laughs> but that's a little secret. <laughs> But hey, yeah, returning guest Colin, uh, the people wanted you back. They've been screaming in the streets, uh, hitting the Reddit boards, um, asking when is Colin going to come back? Talk about orgies. Yeah, I I've left a couple messages in there too about how Vin Diesel's been better than The Rock. <laughs> I saw the Jungle Cruise right last night, and I like was actively like forcing my vision to replace rock's face with vin diesel's face <laughs> wow. and it was better I, I, i'll say i recommend <laughs> i recommend that's watching the, like jung- the movie yeah that's why i really like the jungle cruise because you can because one being vin diesel's in it <laughs> so if he was just deep faked into it it would like jump up to a five-star movie well he like you just gotta like like train yourself to like replace faces and then you're good <laughs> wow <That's- laughs> That's, a, that's an interesting... Uh, that's uh, that's one of the most insane things I've ever heard. <laughs> it's kind of like, eh, we'll, we'll move on. Uh, <laughs> you don't want to talk about the Jungle Cruise? I mean, we can. We're, we're the only two that I've seen it. I'm, yeah. I'm... I can spoil it. No. Yeah, it. <laughs> no. I want to watch it still. Uh, Is there anything to spoil in that movie? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's a twisty-turny yeah. film, huh? Let me the, tell you something. The Rock is full of lies in that movie, twist. and you just figure out lie by lie, and it's just this <laughs> snowball of lies. It's like Big Fat Liar. I would compare that movie to that. <laughs> It's The Rock's Big uh, Fat Liar. Yeah, but... All right. <laughs> and Paul Giamatti's in it. He's in both. <laughs> Uh, so we're having Colin on specifically to talk burning. Um, which, what made you want to come forward to talk about burning, Colin? Well, I was kind what of. What was what was so ex- exciting, and you needed to get on the table. So I mean, there is a couple aspects to this question. One is <laughs> I don't think I had a choice. And the other, the other one is I do enjoy Burning, and actually it's kind of a relevant movie for me because I'm like about to finish Americami movie, um, book, so I have that like <laughs> like in my head right now, and yeah, not a Faulkner book. No, no, Murakami because yeah, I feel like um, I don't know. 
I feel like there's a lot of white yeah. boys who read Murakami and think they're cool. So I don't <laughs> want that to be this. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, uh, have you read the short story Barn Burning by Hiroki Murakami? I have Did you read not, that one? I have not. But I have a really interesting thought on, like, because, like, I feel like my perspective of um, Murakami is, like, because I've only read his, like, novels, so I haven't read his, like, really short books or short stories, which I feel like a lot uh. of people do when they read Murakami, maybe. I'm not sure. But, so, like, I have not read it. But I know it's, like, a 13-page kind of, like, yeah, um, Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've read it, and, it, like, it's so sparse, and, like, the basic outline of this movie is taken from that and then they add so much more to the movie and adapting it so many different layers to it that i think is really impressive yeah uh before we get too deep uh i was just gonna read the the quick synopsis on hulu (laughs) can i read it yeah totally failed by critics that's one of the best films of 2018 (laughs) Burning in the history of being this searing romantic thriller about a young man <laughs> who's suspicious and out of control when the free spirited woman he loves disappears. Well, Hulu, well, I think, has the uh, worst descriptions for movies. They really yeah. make it seem like it's a like a very fiery romantic movie, but like it's actually very like like very little actually happens in the movie. There's oh, yeah. like little romance, and it's two and a half hours. I was gonna say for a two and a half hour movie, like you could condense the plot su- summary into like three paragraphs. Yeah, that. the yeah. most romantic scene in the movie is actually when he's looking at I. W- w- what is the the tower in um, Seoul? What is that called? Yeah, I don't, I don't know what it's called, but yeah, when he's looking at it, jerking off. Yeah, when he's well, he well first he you know he has sex and he's non-jerking off the first time. Yeah, he, and then he goes back yeah, and feeds right. the cat, and then like he like gets horny when he sees it, which is just I thought that was like yeah. Funny. Oh, I, yeah, oh yeah. and I, I like because like she says like if you're lucky, you can see like the sun like shine off of it, and then like when he comes, the sun, the sun shines off of it. <laughs> <laughs> it was weird and funny. Um, yeah. Okay. So we, before we get to that point, let's uh, let's start at the. I guess just start at the beginning, right? I mean, yeah. I mean, it, I mean, it gets into that pretty quickly. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he's just this guy who's lower class guy who's graduated college, did his Korean military service, and he's just this like he kind of represents the youth who have like no job opportunities even after they graduated and he's just working this shitty job doing whatever delivering stuff and then he meets up with this old high old friend from school old neighbor from when they were growing up or whatever yeah, I, I got the in, uh, impression it was like elementary school or it was like middle school cuz yeah. i think she said they, that was the first time that he talked to her or whatever is that he told her she was ugly Mm-hmm. They were in, like walking home from the <laughs> yeah which i mean probably means he had a crush on her but she took it yeah. a different way but like yeah she he like they see each other he doesn't recognize her because she's had plastic surgery which she tells him which is an important layer to the story i think and the um, character in general i think yeah but yeah they kind of talk and she's very flirty and whatever she's kind of mysterious she has this like this youthful spirit 
to her and then she like takes a trip to africa asks him to watch her cat they have sex and then she leaves for two or three weeks and then meanwhile the main character is just kind of taking over his father's farm which is like or house which is is, uh now his because the dad's in prison for like killing a guy or whatever he like Um, assaults him and like fractures his hand i guess yeah it sounded like he didn't kill him but it was uh obviously assaulting like a officer yeah some violent outbursts but yeah so he's just like doing that and like kind of laying low trying to figure out his life he says he wants to be a writer he wants to be a novelist which is important as well as we get deeper into the story but then three weeks later after he goes and feeds her cat and jerks off um she comes back from africa but with a special guest um steven yen playing ben this like foreigner korean guy who is let's just say let's just get it out of the way he's hot he is hot he's a he is sexy he is mysterious but he's also uh you know maybe a psychopath yeah he's mysterious in the way of uh being such a young man and being so wealthy mm. without visibly having a job without mm. really seeming connected to family well, I mean, there's that scene after he's uh, he picks him up from the airport. He's in the backseat, and he's just talking on the phone with his mom, who throughout the whole conversation, it sounds like he's just flirting with some woman or whatever and, like, being very friendly. And he's like, okay, bye. I love you, mom, or whatever. And you're like, what the heck? Oh, what, who is this that. guy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. he's like, bye, mom. <laughs> he's like, yeah. Which <laughs> you have um, Jong-Soo, the main character, sitting in the front seat listening to this. Who, who has a terrible relationship with his parents, and his mom, like, left him when they were young. So he's, like, listening to this guy who has, like, everything he wants, a mom, he's got the girl, seemingly, and, like, he's got this rich, wealthy life, and Jong-Soo has nothing, basically. Yeah. So there's some built-in resentment already. Well, and just the, the idea of uh, Song-Ju, like, the only thing that he kind of has that, he, uh, that Ben doesn't, uh, is Shin Haimi at that point, but it's, mm. I, I mean, it's very obvious that <clears throat> her and Ben have a flirtation, and I mean, why wouldn't you if Stephen yeah, Ben's giving Yeah, I mean, yeah, Jong-Soo, but, he, he gets cucked pretty quickly right off the bat. Um, he gets cucked. He, she has sex with him because, you know, she, because that's what she wants to do. And yeah. he thinks it's more than just a fling. And even at the yeah. airport, when he picks her up, he goes in for a kiss, and then she, like, turns away towards Ben, and he's just like, oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, I mean, because I, I haven't read the the short story, it, mm. so this is obviously not in the short story. It's that the short story is more condensed and not just, I assume, does it even have these kind, this kind of cucking relationship, or... No, it's there, I think... From okay, from what I remember, I don't want to pull it up, but from what I remember, yeah. the main points in the short story are he meets Jaime, or in the in the short story it's in Japan, not Korea, so there's a whole different political and social subtext to it that is added. But basically, he meets the girl, she goes to Africa, she comes back with a mysterious person, he talks about burning barns, um, and then the girl disappears, and that's basically it. Okay. So yeah. And then he's left wondering what happened to her and yeah. whatnot after all these, like, some of these clues where she seems to disappear after he says this thing. So he starts to make this connection. But, and he, like, swears yeah. that, like, all the greenhouses locally around him are, like, not burned down. 
Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, in the short story, it is specifically barns, but in this movie, they changed it to greenhouses, which I guess in Korean language, greenhouses is uh, the same phrase they use for women that like have gotten plastic surgery. Oh. So there's oh. that layer too, where then maybe this person who's like burning down greenhouses as a, which means like maybe he's murdering these women with plastic surgery or these like fake women kind of thing. Because in South Korean culture, uh, plastic surgery obviously is like very big thing. Beauty is a very big thing. You have the beauty industry, all these Korean beauty products, and you have like you know look at K-pop stars and how how a lot of them have facial uh, reconstruction surgery and like plastic surgery to make them look better and whatnot. So there's this whole industry in Korea that this movie is kind of criticizing. But I mean that's just one layer. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, I I think. What do you guys think this movie is about, though? I mean, because there's so there's so little that happens, but there's also so much there that you could look at it in several different ways. Like, I think this movie, including the central mystery and murder itself, is kind of like a shorter Schrodinger's box where it's multiple things at once, and what you take out of it is up to your own subjective view. Mm-hmm. I mean, pers- the way that I interpreted it this this way more was kind of seeing it uh i mean it's hard not to just take it from face value that ben is like a serial killer and Mm. everything like that but looking at it this way from actually seeing how um the like uh aggression can be passed down through family like Mm -hmm. uh hearing how um Ben and uh, Jong-Soo have that conversation about um, when his mother left them, him and his dad just took all of her clothes and burned them in the yard. And like, and then that leads to the greenhouse burning story. But uh, like seeing how that could, that was like, well, pun intended, but like a catalyst to actually the same aggression that is kind of handed down from his father. Mm. And, from being such a a quiet character um you you can kind of portray a lot of your not even yourself but like your the everyday protagonist like the yeah. everyman kind of thing yeah i I, th- I think it is yourself because i think you're seeing the whole movie from his point of view and i think that yeah. that basically forces you into a perspective that you think you're watching but i mean like well, i but guess then by the yeah. end that's what I mean is that's when it takes you out of the uh, maybe actually portraying yourself on that character. Cause yeah. Well, per- yeah, I mean, clearly he kills Ben and it's, yeah. uh, it's just like wrong. But like my question to both of you guys is like, do you think Ben is actually the killer? I think, I mean, do you think he actually did it. <laughs> I think he's the killer. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, early on in the movie, uh, we see that he has like, women's bracelets in his in his bathroom i mean mm-hmm. that's very obvious to, and then, to begin with of taking like, it like a trophy the conversation like where where like um they have like tea and he's just like he like confronts him about like i have been like near every single greenhouse around me and none of them are burned mm-hmm. down and um like what's up with that and then like ben's just like oh no you know, maybe you're missing it because it's too close to you or something like that. And he's like, has a smirk on his face. Like, like, you don't say that if you didn't kill the person. Like, come on. Yeah. Then after that that scene, he's like, well, first off, uh, another girl, a new girl, who seems to be kind of a similar personality comes and then they're about to leave and Ben's like, he refers to Jaime in like 
past tense as well. Right. Like, like, yeah, that's right. But and he also says um, that he's never felt felt jealousy before, but he did went because Jaime said that uh, Jong Su was like, um, uh, you know, very close friend or whatever, and he felt jealous from that. The only person so, that uh, she could trust specifically. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. And he felt jealousy, which he never has before. Yeah, so I mean, there's definitely all these clues, but at the same time, there's nothing concrete that actually ever happens. Like, there's no concrete answer for anything. Like, mm-hmm. even the 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 cat that Jaime had, and then suddenly he's at Ben's apartment. There's no like real evidence that that is Jaime's cat. But we're creating all these narratives in our heads watching this movie, given all these glimpses from one single point of view and we're forming our own narratives to say that he is the killer. But I'm just going to take like the devil's advocate stance and say that he didn't kill her and that it's all in his head that he made this, this narrative up. Cause, cause 'cause, yeah, I mean, you could interpret it every little thing as something else. I mean, like when, when Jaime gets calls Ben that like, and uh, like it sounds like there's a scuffling going on or whatever, and like mm-hmm. there's no answer, and then next thing you know she's gone. Like what if she like just butt dialed him and was like leaving or something? She was running away or something. And yeah. the apartment's clean and whatnot. Like she could have just left for any other reason. Because they she added could, that I mean, like aspect in when he was like interviewing like one of her coworkers. Like the coworker was mm-hmm. just like, um, like a lot of these people have credit card debt and like they'll just like disappear. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah, that kind of, like, proves I mean, the something that Ben could do, like, I mean, his living, we don't know what his, he does for a living, but I mean, maybe one of the things he does is he that fun. maybe he's a wealthy playboy person. So maybe he just like helps these women leave and escape to a new life. You know, mm-hmm. that could be a possibility. But another possibility is also that maybe Ben is gay and is actually in love with Jong Su. Like, did you guys ever think about that? Because if no. you look at it from that lens, he felt jealous because he actually was in love with Jong Su. Yeah, he had, he, thought he had something that, like, uh, Ben wasn't able to get, like, I yeah, don't know. Yeah, and also, mm-hmm. like... And, and I think that's, like, um, a major he theme in the movie, like, um, as well, like... Because, like, like you, we said earlier, like, they come from kind of, like, way different kind of lives where um, Ben mm. has, like, everything, and Jong-Su is, like, very, like, had a rough upbringing with his dad yeah. and his mom leaving and stuff like that, so... Mm-hmm. But, like, at the same time, he has something that Ben doesn't have and is kind of, like, indescribable in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is and like Jung-Soo also... Right? I mean, Ben. Ben, there's a scene where he's doing the makeup for that that girl, which is, like, the only point uh, in the whole movie where we break point of view where Ben is, like, in an apartment with that new girl doing makeup. Mm-hmm. Like, he's doing makeup for her. We think he's, like, making her up to kill her. But, like, what if he's just doing makeup because he's uh, he's, like, good at that and, like, that's what he does. And, like, also... He keeps these mementos because maybe these are friends that he he likes or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then there's a relationship with his mom where, like, the way he's talking to her seems like, I mean, I'm not, I don't want to generalize, but, I mean, the way he's talking with her seems like, you know, <laughs> he's very friendly with the mother and, like, some straight men, especially, like, very masculine men or whatever, don't have that kind of relationship with their moms. And he does. I mean, maybe he is gay. Maybe he has a closer relationship with his mom in that way. Um, I like. I mean, there's just all these different things. Yeah, I mean, there's all these different ways you can look at every little thing, but we only think he's a killer because we're only seeing it from this one Jong Su's point of view, where we see this history of violence, we see his jealousy, we see all, we see all these very specifically chosen scenes that point us into this point 
of view. And also it's working and playing with the genre conventions that we know and kind of, we wanted him to be the killer. And then when he kills, oh, oh yeah, you have to remember that Jungsu is also a novelist who really likes Faulkner. Yeah. So like there's that aspect where he's a writer looking for a narrative and trying to force things into a certain thing. Because there's also the scene early on when he's writing a fake letter for his uh, father and like going to neighbors to try and get them to sign it. And then the neighbor's like, well, this one part's not true. He was never nice. And like mm-hmm. uh, Jong-Su like just embellished that part of it. So I mean, there's all these different ways to look at it, which again, like I said, it's just like a Schrodinger's box of a movie. But, well, and it's yeah. just, it's like we had mentioned, there isn't a lot that actually happens, but it's all, it's mm-hmm. such a, a character study in all three of the main characters. And while we are portraying so much and only seen through the eyes of Jong-Su, it's learning more about and uh, all three of them and kind of peeling apart the mystery of not necessarily, necessarily a plot mystery. Cause really the, the, even the indication of like murder or anything doesn't come in until the last th- third of the movie, but mm-hmm. um, to actually peel back and uh, try and understand the motivations of all three of them, because they're all, they're all very vague and uh, yeah, just hard characters to read in general. But mm-hmm. in that sense too, all three of them are kind of newly formed relationships, even though some of them have been uh, like two of them have grown up together and everything, but they're, it's like a new romance and a new fling, but that he interprets as falling in love. So, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, I mean, I just, that specifically the idea that Ben is gay, I've, I never really thought of, but that's a very, interesting uh theory Mm. i guess and it's uh, in that case there's not really there's not necessarily any wrong or right answer to that because everything Mm. that that you see everything that happens at least from uh from jong su's point of view of like well he you, you he's at least a somewhat reliable narrator where it's not a movie of like well did he actually killer mm. or something like that yeah yeah. because that's what i was kind of thinking watching this too is like well could it could that be the like kind of the asking if he's really just portraying his own like killer desires on to ben mm. yeah. um which in some cases he kind of is in the fact he of, does he does yeah he's be he's such a silent stoic character and uh they specifically talk just about how he doesn't he doesn't really talk and he doesn't um express his feelings which leads to a lot of, for a lot of people mm. which leads to violence and mm. that does at the end of the movie of not actually finding answers through uh conversation or anything like that it leads to ultimately him killing Ben so he's kind of a korean incel yeah for yeah <laughs> definitely but uh but Colin what do, what do you think this movie is about What's your take on this movie? What's um, your subjective point of view? I it's it's like there's like yeah like I don't know everything we said is really good. Um, I think at the most I got out of it like there's a couple of aspects like where like I said I've been like kind of really deep in a Murakami book right now. So like going watching mm-hmm. this for a second time because it's my second viewing, um, I had that kind of on my mind, and um, so like. I kind of want to talk like like kind of globally about the movie right now, just like mm-hmm. how 
how, like how they adapted it, which is really interesting how it's like a short story that like they turned into this. Mm. And I think that's a really interesting way. Mm. And I think it, specifically like the style um, and how um, Murakami, like he like takes these like kind of like daydreams in a way and turns them into like thousand mm. page novels, like a really simple idea <laughs> that he just expands yeah. on. In a way, this is kind of like the same thing where like, like um, the writer of this movie took the movie um, took the short story and expanded on it into like a two and a half hour movie. And so I think that's mm. like a really interesting nod to Mirakami. And I think it's like one of the best adaptations I've ever seen of a book, you know? Mm. Yeah. So fuck you. I mean, this director, fuck uh, you, Lin Harry Potter. Dong. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> this director, Lin Chang Dong, he does a lot of adaptations. And one, one he did called Secret Sunshine as well was also a short story. And I read that and it was like, the way he expands these short stories into something else is really, really an amazing process. Right. Like if you just read the short story and see what he adds to it. Because, like, there, this movie also has, like, a political subtext to it, too. Because, I mean, yeah. I, I think you can look at it every different way. I mean, there's the North Korea, South Korea thing and all these things and colonialism, Western versus Eastern aspects yeah, to it. Right. And there's also, like, when Trump shows up, too. He, I was like, about to say he that, He specifically yeah. chose the scene where Trump shows up, yeah. which, I, I mean, so... While he's I was pissing. asking your guys' interpretation of what this movie is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, the fact that he's pissing while he shows Trump is pretty funny. Yeah, um, taking piss on Trump, but also like my interpretation of this movie is that really it's like basically two plus two equals whatever you want it to be. It's all about subjective experience and what you take from it. Mm-hmm. It's about creating these own narratives where reality doesn't even matter anymore. It's the only reality that matters is your own right view so and, that's like what trump is i mean trump has created false these false realities based off the power of his own narratives and his mm-hmm. own making and that's become the new reality right so that's what kind of this movie is about i think just creating oh, yeah. your own realities right because there's also like even hey me she there's that part before they like meet up in that midpoint that that barbecue thing where she's talking about the well and how she fell in the well and Jong Su, she got mad at Jong Su or whatever, and like that. So, and then later Jong Su asked the parents about her falling on the well, and she's like, "There, that never happened." So it's like she maybe created her own narrative too. And then there's whole, there's also the whole miming aspect. She's learning how to mime. She's also she's doing these motions to create something that's not there. So there's all these things that's that's all pointing to this theme. What this movie is about. Yeah, like when you ask me where, like, what I think of this movie, like what I like just want to say it doesn't make sense but it's just like where you come from like i don't know <laughs> yeah because like, like the more you huge... think about the movie the less it makes sense the more you watch it and the more you try and put your finger on something it escapes you you know like there's nothing to grasp there but there's also like so much that is there mm-hmm. so, i mean in that way it is also like the murakami novels too which are like you try to grasp at something that's not there and it's impossible to grasp at Right, there's something there, you know and what then, I mean? <laughs> yeah, like, it's, like, just, like I said earlier, it's, like, a simple dream, and, like, it just mm. builds these characters around him, and, like, goes super in-depth with the characters, like, how um, Jong Su, you go back to his um, house, and you see, like, all the pictures on the wall, and you get, like, a, this, this sense of, like, mm. where he came from, and, um, yeah. yeah, like, the, the character development, like, narrative of just kind of going, aimlessly going nowhere, but it's just kind of, like, a, like, just a product of the time is interesting. Mm. Yeah, this movie definitely has like a momentum to it, even though like it feels like nothing's happening. You are leaning in, you're drawing into it. There's something about it that 
really pulls you in, which I really love about this movie. I mean, this was my favorite movie of 2018. And I do want to talk about the midpoint scene where Amy does her son her sunset dance and whatever Miles Davis is playing, which I think is like one of the best sequences in a long time. It's like top five sequences of the last 10 years for me, that, that sequence where she's dancing in the sunset and then the conversation afterwards. Yeah. Uh, what do you guys think of that scene? Yeah. Well, that's that whole, a great scene. I mean, that, go ahead. That um, whole, the whole scene was, um, that the whole, like when they go to their house is really interesting. I think it kind of like when, like later when he says like, um, like I've never been jealous before. I think that's when he was like feeling the jealousy. Like he was sitting like in that lawn chair, yeah. just like looking at the sunset, just kind of contemplating like what yeah. Jong Su yeah. has and, that Ben cannot ever have. You know uh, what I mean? Which yeah. is and just Jung, like Jong Su laughed when no no uh, Jong Su tells Ben that he yeah. loves her, and Ben just starts chuckling. Which I think, as a sociopath who maybe doesn't feel anything, he's jealous that he doesn't feel anything, and mm. also he laughs because he loves. Ben or he lo- Ben loves Jong Su maybe I mean maybe that's why he laughs too so I mean there's all these different things yeah yeah it's really interesting yeah. how Ben Ben is just so fascinated by Jong Su uh-huh. like every conversation <laughs> yeah. he has like like when he walks in the tea and he's just like oh yeah I'm reading the book because like you got me really interested yeah in I'm it. reading the book you recommended because <laughs> yeah. I'm in love with you <laughs> and I want to get to know you better. That's why he meets up with him at the end when Jung Su's like, "Hey, you want to meet up so I could stab you?" He's like, "Yeah, sure, let's meet up." Like, well, that's he's not—he's thing... not creeped out when he's following him either. Yeah, like when he's like yeah, running he's... in the gym and he like sees him like <laughs> just like on the street yeah. eating. I don't even know what he's eating. He's just like sitting there eating and like he's like running and a Milan pond. I don't think Jung Su knows like he was up there like 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 watching it down at him. Like I don't. I think it was like yeah, flipped I... where like. Ben was the one aware of him, but he wasn't aware of him, which yeah, is I mean, kind of yeah, interesting that that se- that sequence because that whole sequence <laughs> is like him like following him in different areas, like the museum, and then like him yeah. driving along like the highway, and they like come up next to each other. Yeah. And it's like oh fuck. <laughs> uh-huh. But then there's like yeah that one scene where like Ben just looks down on him, but Jung Soo is unaware that Ben is looking at him, which I thought it was interesting. But he is looking up at him, isn't he? But I think he like he just he's like looking up at generally at him you know what i mean he's like i know like that's where he lives uh, but like i don't i didn't because oh, yeah, yeah. like okay. it's like a very tall building he's like looking way up there you know yeah 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 okay so that's how i interpret it but mm. that's a meaningless yeah. interpretation i don't know what it means <laughs> i mean it no that's, that's yeah I'll go ahead no, please no no i was just gonna say that's that was kind of I, the points that we're going back to are it's con- constantly up for interpretation and it's it benefits from multiple viewings mm-hmm. like a lot of movies that we talk about do but uh, uh just this one specifically for uh, I, you you can read scenes differently and mm. I'm, I'm obviously there's <laughs> a lot of questions as to uh, the real co- character's motivations, but mm. um, yeah, I, I just I, it's a movie that I still don't really know how I interpret it or mm. exactly what it's about. But I do think it's a amalgamation of a lot of what we've talked about. About um, even we didn't get too well. We talked a little bit about it, but uh, the like Eastern versus Western culture, and mm. definitely. I I think Steven Yeun's uh, casting is pretty not on the nose, but it's like knowing for how 
he's I don't I don't know necessarily how well he's known in South Korea, mm. but for being a pretty well known actor in America and uh-huh. and it doesn't happen often that I know of, of really just a, a character or an actor getting a bigger um, getting bigger stardom in America, but then going back to their home country and making like kind of building their name for themselves, which I think is really mm. cool. But it's kind of just the character of Ben of jumping around and being this traveling uh, character. Yeah, they've talked in interviews about how his foreignness added to the character. Like, there's an Americanness to him that's like, you know, yeah. he's, Stephen Yen talks about how he drank American milk. He grew up in America. His facial structure is different. He doesn't look mm-hmm. Korean, fully Korean. So he's kind of this in between space. But that foreignness adds to the, the layers of the movie. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And also, another layer you can look at is that I think I saw somewhere on Reddit or something, it was a while ago, that another interpretation of this movie is that um, it's about North Korea and South Korea and the U.S. Because, like, Ben represents South Korea in a way, and then jong Su represents North Korea, this kind of poor, kind of, like, cucked country, basically. Where Meanwhile, South Korea, Ben, has been supported by the American uh, capitalist system, basically. Mm-hmm. Um so, I mean, there's a lot of layers to that, too. Well, especially, I... yeah, for uh, jong Su living so close to North Korea mm-hmm. and having yeah. the propaganda, which is mm-hmm. a really interesting touch because I, I kept remembering, oh, that, because it sounds like he just has the TV on all the time or something like mm-hmm. that, but it's really just the uh, the speaker from North Korea spouting mm-hmm. propaganda and mm-hmm. living, living in this farm or greenhouse. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah like your entire life and just having that propaganda, even if you don't necessarily believe it, but having it ingrained mm. in your mind would mm. change you for as a person. So, yeah. And just looking at the economic stuff with, through that lens is also interesting too. Um, but yeah, and I, ben, again, Ben wasn't aware of that either, which was kind of interesting. Like he came in and was like, what, what is that noise kind of thing? Uh, mm-hmm. I remember in the movie, I saw this at the arc light actually when it came out and the subtitles for that movie were actually different from this release on Hulu and other places too. Because when he asked what that is, and they say it's the South Korean propaganda or whatever, or the the North Korean propaganda, in the movie theater, Ben's line is like very you know monotone, and he's like, "How fun!" And then that actually got a chuckle out of the audience. But like in this, in the subtitled versions I've seen on streaming. His the line changes to like oh how interesting so it's like there's something there's a different quality to just that one line change too yeah um yeah I mean going just going back to that um that that sunset dance scene again too though I mean it's just so dreamy and so surreal I remember just being in movie theater that goes into the single long take of her dancing with the sunset and the jazz music playing I'm just like what the fuck am I watching you know in the best <laughs> way possible you know it's just so dreamy and I love that scene. And then she I starts just, crying, but yeah, which I could see how that benefit so much more too from seeing it in a theater. I mean, just uh, I've only seen this on like at home basically because mm-hmm. it didn't play. Well, it might have played in Spokane, but um, nowhere that I knew of. So because uh, I I definitely see that dreamy quality to that and everything. I guess it just didn't it didn't bounce out to me as much just because mm-hmm. I it. It, I, I, I've seen scenes like that, but I do when it takes that pause to just kind of watch this 
small sunset, beautiful dance, and she gets like completely naked, basically, and then starts mm. crying. And interpreting that too, of like she's basically dancing on her own home and where she was, and like uh, I, I don't, I wasn't really sure what I was trying to draw from that, but I was thinking this time watching of like her where she's come from and like her growth and um, her as and her personality of kind of being someone trying to leave the past behind just mm. um, whether she, well, obviously she didn't really have a relationship with her family anymore. Uh, she hadn't had plastic surgery. Um, she didn't even know that her old home had been, you know, destroyed or whatever had happened to it. So that kind of, uh, that real change and uh, like not coming of age, but, um, just it, her evolving just in that. It's like her old self, like clashing with her like new self. Yeah. And, and mm. maybe there's like that, like you said, plastic um, surgery element too, where she's trying to be someone different, like physically. And um, those two, like, like identities are almost clashing in a sense. Maybe that scene, mm-hmm. but that scene is very going yeah. back to Murakami. That, that's like a very, I feel like it's such like a, a <laughs> yeah. nod to him. Um, Especially with the Miles Davis, the jazz music yeah. and stuff like oh, that. Oh, yeah. Too. It's just, like, so, like, um, I just love how, like, well, just talking about Murakami, but, like, he, how he just, like, takes, like, a simple dream that you might, like, have, you know, you know, you just, like, you're sleeping, you know, it's 8 o'clock and you're dreaming and you, you keep wanting to play that dream, you know, you want to keep pushing that dream through. He takes, like, one of those elements of it and just, like, expands on uh-huh. it. Like, it doesn't make sense, but he just, like, yeah. will take it and expand it into something and i think really, i think it works really well for the movie because you know yeah there's yeah. like i mean right now there's like that scenes right now i feel like there's just so many movies that are just like over the top crazy and mm. these like simple dreams are yeah kind of like fun to like just explore yeah. in a sense yeah like this scene to me is like just that dance scene is so pure like that's that could only happen in movies and to me it's to the, it gets to the point where where you can't make sense of it using words you can't even describe what it's about like you could try but like that's just distilling diluting the uh experience of just experiencing that movie moment you know it's a Mm -hmm. cinematic moment and yeah so like that's just a moment that very few movies can achieve these days where you can't describe it using words yeah that's why i love it so much it's a style it's like a it's just a scene it's like a almost like what music videos capture in a way it's like mm, it's just yeah. trying to be like its yeah. own little thing it's just ca- doesn't really it uh, might not mean anything but this is like a style like uh, we're just gonna pin this yeah. here it captures some sort of feeling that can't be described in uh, except only felt kind of thing yeah like yeah. that tenant quote don't try to understand it feel it yeah <laughs> there it is my man <laughs> there it um, is what, what else can we talk about i mean all right, keep going. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I didn't. I, I, I mean, I didn't take a lot of notes because I don't. I don't really take notes when we're getting into uh, like foreign films, just because I like to. Oh, read the subtitles and stuff. Yeah, subtitles. But um, yeah, I mean, what other points do you did you have, Dustin? Mm, we didn't really talk too much about just like that again the economic layer of this how 
Jong Su is unemployed, basically looking for jobs and stuff like that, and how that societal capitalistic thing where the lower class is just struggling, and then this anger bubbles up and brews up, and like that anger leads to him killing uh, Ben and right. this American. I think thing. a couple. It's like a, it's like a a colonized country rising up and killing off and destroying the colonizers in a way. I think a couple of those yeah. bubbles too well, are like um like when they're initially like um Ben comes with um her where like um John Sue is just so like like how why is this happening? This does not compute, you know, like there's no way like mm-hmm. he should be like all over her. You know, like there's something mm-hmm. up with this. Like he grows suspicious. And from your um comments earlier, Dustin, how like, you know, this is just from Jong Su's perspective, you know. You can uh, kind of sense that, like, it's yeah. almost like a passive aggressiveness towards, like, wealth in a way, where it's just like, mm. um, yeah, like, this shouldn't happen. Hey, could you, uh, if you guys ever watch this movie again, which I think you should, watch it from Ben's point of view. Like, imagine he's the hero. Imagine he's a good guy just trying to help out. And, and just, and, like, imagine he is gay. And just imagine his perspective seeing Jong Su. You would say that Jong Su is a psychopath if you saw all the things he did and all the weird things he did. And so, like, in um, like, a way, like, the society is, like, the fucked up element to it. And, like, <laughs> like capitalism is fucked up in a sense. If you can almost picture that as, like, the enemy that brews him in a Joker-ish way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, yeah. It creates an incel society, yeah. Yeah, like yeah. John Sue's joker yeah, I mean, again... Yeah. <laughs> again, I mean, just my main takeaway from this movie is that... joker Every single scene... Sorry. Doesn't mean anything, and <laughs> no, no scene, nothing means anything unless there's a context to go with it. Two plus two equals not equal equal four, or you equal whatever you want. But any scene by itself is meaningless. But once you add all the things that we see, like the cat missing, the phone call where Jaime goes missing, or whatever, all these different things, you add that from that point of view, you get a different equation. If you added all the scenes of, say, like Ben seeing Jong Su doing something, all these things different equal equal different things. But all that matters is context and uh, subjective experience. It's an it's an I unsolvable. Just want to that um, it's it's an unsolvable differential equation, you know. <laughs> yeah. Which, again, is also a very Murakami thing, where, like, just the deeper you get into it, the more confused you are, the more dreamy things get, and whatnot. Yeah. Fuck. But, we, yeah, I mean, like, should... imagine just... What What we... did the farmers think when he saw jong Su just running from barn to bar, from greenhouse to greenhouse? Like, they feel like, this guy's a psychopath kind of thing. Yeah, and then he, like, goes to the one house, and he's just like, you, got, you have a well here? And they're just like, this yeah, fucking well. like who is this guy? <laughs> yeah, and he's like out of breath. Uh, that's terrifying and kind well, of I mean, that, psychopathic. That goes back to uh, like what you had said about the Psycho- bringing in Trump to like change. Well, no, like, uh, well, yeah, I guess psychopathic, but bringing up Trump specifically in a person that's changed narrative and like changed uh, idealism, like the fact that. Uh, like right the night after the barbecue, um, yeah, he's he's going to what's supposed to be basically his like first day on the job, and of what you might, I mean, it's probably going to be at least successful to him to a degree. It's a living for him, but he's uh, rather than 
staying and taking the job, he starts running from greenhouse to greenhouse, just show like solidifying that uh, he his only real intentions lie in both Ben and uh, Jaime. Just like because at that point he doesn't even know Jaime's missing, but he's running from greenhouse to greenhouse to see what uh, if any of them have been burnt down. So. Mm. And yeah. I mean, the obvious impl- in, uh, implication, I think, to have, if you're looking at it um, specifically from Jung Su's perspective um, during that barbecue scene, is kind of that Ben is coyly threatening him about like the greenhouse. And um, at least that's how I took it the first time watching it. I also, I think I had a little bit of prior knowledge of that Stephen Yoon was playing a darker character, not even a darker character, but but maybe the, the villain of the movie. But, uh, so the first time I had seen it reading that more as, uh, that, that was at some point, uh, Jong Su's going to come back to his house and it was going to be burnt down or something. So, um, yeah, that was, that's, again, the only way I've really interpreted it, but this time trying to, look at it from Ben's perspective a little bit more. The, the greenhouse talk though is almost inadmissible. I don't, I like, yeah, it's hard to, I mean, it's such a wide open metaphor. You can see it in so many different ways, but I mean, it is hard to get away from the fact that it's a threatening kind of violent thing that he's going to do. But I mean, again, it, it is a metaphor, so it can be interpreted however you want. Oh yeah. But not in the fact that it's cause it doesn't have to, be interpreted as a threat to Jong Su. It just the fact of he's committing some kind of crime. Or I mean, if you even want to interpret it in some way, this is just off the top of my dome. But how he's comparing, um, like smoking pot to burning down the greenhouses is that yeah. they're both crimes, and what's what's the difference? And that's yeah being. Uh, but looking into that from maybe that Ben is gay is like... Yeah, it's like being gay is a crime, gay marriage is a crime kind of exactly. thing. Yeah, so, so there's that aspect. And maybe the greenhouse, you know, the greenhouse is burning down these social kind of barriers is what he does. You know, he goes to these places and, you know, he makes a men fall in love with him or something. Or he does mm-hmm. he just does these things that are like society says is wrong, but actually, you know, it is good. Maybe that is the greenhouse he's burning down. And maybe mm-hmm. he's talking about Jong Su as the greenhouse he's burnt down. And that's why it's yeah. so close that he couldn't even see it. Yeah, that's true too. Well, and like playing into that too, like one of the, one of the things he says at the beginning is like, cause they directly ask like, what, what does he do? Like what is his occupation? And he like literally says to have fun. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, like playing also, into that, maybe like, yeah. like, burning down greenhouses is fun like he's inserting himself into like different aspects of culture and just like kind of uh, like tying culture and just in together like different classes and together different like sexualities different like um perspectives yeah um also oh yeah there's another scene i wanted to talk about that's also really important it's the scene where like his mom uh he meets up jong Su meets up with his mom and like she's this She's a janitor. She's poor, but she's dressed mm-hmm. up in this way to make her look more rich. 
and she's you know talk, there's talk about plastic surgery and stuff like that. So like she's a product of this society, of this again a capitalistic society, one that values beauty and fake beauty and whatnot. And I think it's really sad that scene, actually, that relationship with the mom, where she just wants money, basically, from Jong Su yeah. and whatever. But again, that's another. It's a critique on the materialistic society, a capitalist society, but also it's another thing that shows like um, something that Ben has that Jong Su doesn't. Another mm-hmm. just character moment. I mean, like it's just every scene you look at. It's just like wow, you can look at it in so many different ways, and that's why I think this movie is like a masterpiece. And this is why it was my favorite movie of that that year it came out. It's just so yeah. so good. Yeah, in so many different ways. It's just a very um, but real I guess, movie. I guess, <laughs> very not real re- and surreal. Yeah, and that's man, that, and that's Murakami, baby. That's his bread and butter. <laughs> that's just Murakami walking, right there. <laughs> that's just walking down like the line of just like like it's so like dreamlike and so like surreal that there is a very um, real element to it because like it's almost like like telling a story about the world through the perspective of like a dream and the perspective of like how how you digest life every night. If that makes sense. Uh, yeah, <laughs> dreams are dreams are subjective and everything. Dreams yeah. are more real than reality. They communicate more real things. I mean, there's also dreams in this movie. We see different fantasies of him, like uh, getting a hand drop from High Me and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You, the the cut the something telling is that when the first time we cut the through the language of the the movie that is set up for the first half after the dance scene after the sunset scene after the greenhouse scene we get the first dream where we see the greenhouse burning from jong Su's childhood mm-hmm. and there's like you know some other dreamlike qualities later on and stuff like that um but well, i guess one last thing to talk about again just leaving the audience with something to think about next time they watch this movie is, is that that uh, uh when when ben um he's talking about the bass drum you know it's like the he oh, yeah. feels it in his heart He's taught. I mean, again, if you see that he's gay and he's in love with Jong Su, that's what love feels like. You know, there's this deep bass drum that's like the meaning of life in there that he's trying to communicate in a very yeah. odd way that uh, Jong Su doesn't really get because he thinks Jong uh, Ben is like a killer and an enemy. But um, yeah. yeah, and then at the end, when Jong Su finally kills Ben. Ben cries for the first time in his life because maybe he's in love with Jong Su and the person he was in love with just killed him. Yeah. So yeah, just hey, just just food for thought. Hashtag food oh, for thought. That's, a, that's an interesting perspective. Yeah. It's a good movie. Right. <laughs> yeah, I didn't think about any of that theory until right now yeah. so yeah i mean this is like like my, my fourth or fifth time watching this so i like the most of the f- first two or three times i watched this i was thinking yeah ben's the killer ben's the killer let's find the evidence let's find the concrete evidence yeah. but then you realize that there is no evidence and then you have to be like yeah. well i guess it's just about subjective experience which the movie when you look at it from that way everything every scene is about that so yeah um yeah right. great movie i love this movie uh colin before you go you want to say anything else um, no, this is just a great podcast, and I really enjoyed being on here. <laughs> Thanks, Colin. Appreciate Thanks it. Thanks for coming we, on. We'll, we uh, love having you on here. We'll see you again soon. Producer Pierce. Yes? How's it going? It's going good. <laughs> did you watch this movie, Pierce? Yeah, did you watch uh, this movie? No, I did not. I did not. <laughs> hey, Wait, that's okay. Can I, like... Can I read the last? Can I read the last paragraph in the short story before I leave? And that's my sign-off. <laughs> yeah, I have it pulled up. Where am I?
Where am I? I'm here. I still run past the five barns every morning. No barn in my neighborhood was, has burned down, and I haven't heard about any barn burning. The summers come again, and the winter birds fly overhead. And I keep getting older. <laughs> Very nice. Also, Barn Burning is the name of a short story by William Faulkner as well. I don't know was, what that story is about. I was going to say, because, I mean, it's just looking at Wikipedia, but it's credited as as the movie being an adaptation of both uh, short stories. Oh, interesting. So, which I haven't yeah checked any of the credits or anything, if that's actually I, Yeah, true, I, but... I don't know if it's, I, I think it's just, uh, I think the short story for the Faulkner one is different than the Murakami one, so I don't know. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Sweet. All right. Well, yeah, Fish, we'll I'm let you off. go, and then we'll continue. Okay. Until well, next hey, time. I'll, see you uh, soon for uh, yeah, for a surprise movie. For a surprise movie. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye for now. Bye-bye. All right. So he just finished watching Burning on Hulu, and then well, the recommendations come up. You got a bunch of Korean movies, and then you have another round. <laughs> so we chose to talk about Mother, the Bong Joon-ho movie, and another round, the uh, uh, Scandinavian movie. <laughs> that won uh, Best Picture this last year, which I th- Best Foreign Picture at the Oscars last year, which I think Hulu basically just takes buys streaming rights for any Best Foreign yeah. movie and makes a recommended title for every movie on there which we saw for parasite it just became recommended for everything yeah well and that was the interesting thing i because i was looking just looking at my recommendations right now mm-hmm. and i don't actually don't have a lot of um like korean films there's a couple oh. in here but it's actually mostly like independent american movies or eh, there's like memories of murderers in here uh yeah a couple, but yeah, I'm surprised because there are a couple just independent uh, American movies. Yeah, but I also think that that's what they do, and similarly to what we saw with Parasite, is there's no real through line. Um, I think a little bit more through these, but I, I was kind of reaching when thinking about mm-hmm. it. Yeah, but... <laughs> I think there's some funny there's some funny things throughout all three movies that we chose today that are kind of related mm-hmm. um, i was a lot more surprised on how i was able to connect another round to burning but we can <laughs> uh-huh. talk about that separately we yeah. can start let's, with let's mother. get to that yeah let's talk about mother a little bit um so you've mother, uh, you've seen this movie uh, before right can, mother yeah uh and this is yeah the shortest uh synopsis a woman embarks on an obsessive quest to clear her son's name of mur- of murder, which I think so, is one of the better synopsises that Hulu has. Like that sums it up pretty pretty well. Well, and it's not uh, very lead. It's not leading in the same sense of like how leading burnings synopsis yeah. is. Yeah. Um, granted, it's pretty hard to like make sell burning without hit, like even just hinting at the fact that somebody's disappeared or somebody's gonna like. Yeah get murdered yeah but uh that does i think hinder an average like 
somebody just watching a Hulu movie, I think it hinders the chances of them watching it if you were to try mm-hmm. and sell it without hinting at that kind of stuff. But yeah, for um, sure. Yeah, but so Mother, I mean, is basically um, kind of the genre movie that Burning is commenting on mm-hmm. in a way. Because watching Burning and then watching Mother right after, thinking about all these subjective things like what do we actually see evidence for and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Mother takes on a different. Thing because we actually do see things happening but um yeah uh mother of course by another korean titan now international star bong jun ho uh the movie he did after the host i think uh this is my second time watching it first time since like around the time it came out and i i this movie's really good yeah i agree i mean i i think we've championed bong jun ho on this yeah. podcast already uh, but uh this is my second time seeing it as well, and uh, the first time being probably senior year of high school, so like mm. 2012, not long after it came out. Yeah. But um, it, this is probably the the darkest three movies we've done in succession. I Another think. round isn't that dark. I, I disagreed some. I mean, this, the context of it is dark, yes. Yeah. But, um. I mean, obviously with Mother probably being the darkest one of the three yeah. just of it being basically following uh the titular mother she's never given a name but uh her son who is mentally handicapped uh is accused of murdering a woman after she's found um dead after they had like a confrontation so uh mm-hmm. it's it's kind of the more like you had said it's the movie that it's the genre movie that Burning's commenting on, but very much so like the more uh, Western type of movie. I feel like because it's it's almost the, like a like a uh, Death Wish movie or something like yeah, that. Yeah, there's also also like some Hitchcockian elements. The some some sequences are very mm-hmm. like Hitchcockian and their suspense and whatnot. Definitely. Which, I mean, yeah, you really see Bong Joon Ho having fun with some of these scenes and doing just like yeah, he's just such a unique director, such a cool director. Mm-hmm. Um, like just the the opening scene where we immediately understand the dynamic between these two characters, mm-hmm. where um, she's chopping these these things while watching her son across the street through the door, and like the chopping of the thing, we think she's gonna cut her own finger, which she does. Mm-hmm. But the way it's edited is just very suspenseful, and like mm-hmm. um, we just yeah, it just sets up the whole relationship really well. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and just the I guess the character flourishes and. With it being similar, I mean, the mother's never named, like uh, we'd said beforehand, but um, really getting to know the character and similarly to Burning, you're kind of putting yourself onto her. Mm. Um, But finding out these darker elements, like Mm. learning she was going to try and commit suicide with uh, her son when he was like five. And it's not even something that we learn from her as like kind of a sign of, uh, regret. It's more that uh, in the in this time where her son's in prison and um, she's kind of reaching out to be motherly in one of the only real ways she's shown. What he's latched on to is the memory he has when he was five years old of them mm. trying to or she trying to kill him. Mm. So um, yeah, and then that moment is very interesting because. When she, when the son tells her that he remembers that, 
it's like almost she tried to forget that memory herself. And so she screams like this horrific scream that's like so terrifying and like mm-hmm. sad because she remembers what she did. And then it's kind of similar to burning in which you're creating your own narrative and trying to hide some elements or, you know, suppress certain elements and just see the story that you want to see. Mm-hmm. So she's kind of living this lie where she's like this very protective good mother, but that protection comes from this hidden truth is that she tried to kill her own son and maybe her, her whole, her whole existence now is just trying to make up for that guilt of trying to kill her son. Well, which and the, is very interesting. The, that, yeah, that through line of her knowing acupuncture and having the, mm-hmm. some way to, um, some pressure point that makes you forget all those awful memories mm-hmm. and her son not wanting to do that he like lives with that and mm. I w- wouldn't say admirable but I mean it makes it that he's living in the truth more than she even is and that mm-hmm. um, for just taking the rest of her life to kind of forget the ugliness despite mm. the ugliness she ends up getting into through mm. the movie where yeah. uh, I mean then we go into like where that's where it quote unquote becomes like a death wish type movie or whatever, where she's investigating what had happened, trying to, um, she like her blaming it on her son's more tough guy kind of friends and that are what gang affiliated, I would say, or something like that. Mm-hmm. But, uh, going, that's when it gets to that much more genre idea, but watching her descent into, the darkness that she's been repressing the entire time. Mm. Um, yeah. Bob Juno just does that in a very artistic way where it yeah. obviously could just be a much, I mean, there's a lot of South Korean movies that I actually enjoy that don't have the same depthness that something like mother has, but mm. execute that correctly. This just has such a more visceral feel to it. So, mm. yeah. And, um, yeah, something about this movie is like, as an audience, going back to the burning thing about subjectivity, as an audience, when we see immensely handicapped person on screen, we immediately think they're innocent. And this kind of mm-hmm. story has been told before where there's a wrongly accused person, unjustly accused person, and we immediately think they're innocent. So I think Bong Joon-ho is using that genre convention to put the audience in that subjective experience and be like, okay, yeah, he's definitely innocent. There's no way he did this and kind of thing. Uh, mm-hmm. Which is interesting, and then he withholds information to show us that yeah, maybe he is innocent or and mm-hmm. whatnot. Um, well, in the back and forth of that too, where having the ending, based like going for, um, I think that's more of the Hitchcockian elements of not knowing who to trust. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, I guess you would say you're basically uh, trusting mother, but then seeing how she gets, she's crazy she's yeah, crazy she, well she she gets essentially proof that her son did it and mm. rather than accepting that proof and uh you know going on with her life whether that's with her son in her life or not she just kind of goes goes into the darkness to forget about what he could even be possible. Uh, yeah. She's like, she, she kills a man to protect her son's innocence, innocence in quotes. Yeah. And then when the son maybe reminds her of what she's done, she does the acupuncture trick to make mm-hmm. herself forget what just happened, which I think 
probably doesn't even work. It's like yeah. just like one of these like she's this natural healing, very like weird kind of health outskirts type person in society who like does all these things that we will look at today and be like, oh, this is like fake news. This is like fake health Facebook kind of stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Like, no, this is actually real. And she does this like thing, tries to forget this thing. And I think she tricks herself into actually forgetting it because by mm -hmm. the end, there's that dance where you're looking at, is she actually dancing because she forgot or is she dancing because she's trying to forget and suppress that pain, mm -hmm. which I, that, that last shot is so amazing. That last yeah. long profile tracking shot so shaky and like mm. that that sunset dance i love that it's so good that music well, that, too that just diving into like a very ocd characteristic that like mm. even i'm like guilty of that kind of stuff sometimes where it is just like it's like knock on wood where mm. yeah you're 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 kind of convincing yourself that oh everything's okay like knock on wood you know we're good or yeah in that case that she has the capability of uh actually forgetting based on acupuncture which mm. i don't know if that's true or not my knowledge of acupuncture is pretty pretty low i used to yeah i used to get acupuncture like once a month when oh. i was a little bit younger yeah but uh i was never approached by the man saying like oh so do you want to forget every memory you've ever had <laughs> yeah I, I mean I'd, yeah sure i'd take that but yeah. I, I mean i'm sure that, that doesn't actually exist <laughs> no i'm sure but still yeah. i mean I, I don't know yeah uh, we don't know we don't know that's the thing we don't know but, but uh that dance the dancing in this mm -hmm. movie uh was a a pretty big through line from dancing uh, from burning, and then mm -hmm. we'll again see in another round. I think mm -hmm. dancing is the main thing connecting <laughs> right. these three movies, honestly. And I think, like we had kind of the same through line, a little bit less so in burning necessarily, but trying to like make yourself forget and to try and um, change your outlook on life, but not through necessarily the most healthy means. Mm -hmm. um, where, I mean, with this being her acupuncture trick, but also, more importantly, that she's, like, just willfully killing and hurting lots of people just because she believes her son is innocent, despite the fact he's uh, he's not. Uh -huh. And just blinding herself to even the idea that he would be guilty. So, mm -hmm. And then we'll get into another round soon, but that being another through line of relationship with alcohol and that. So, mm -hmm. yeah. And the performance she gives in this movie is really, really good because like she's towing such a tight line between the audience being sympathetic towards her and being unsympathetic because mm -hmm. she does some cr really crazy things. And she is like the crazy lady at the grocery store that does these weird annoying things that nobody likes you know mm -hmm. and she's like does all these crazy things but the audience is still by her side and that is a testament to her face and just like the way she she handles this role mm -hmm. I, I don't i wasn't familiar with the actress playing mother have you seen anything else with her in it I, I don't think i have um i think she's pretty famous though just from what i lo was looking at it looks like she's only done like five movies a bunch of tv but is also like a a stage actor which i think uh from an acting point of view that really does ben that helps to uh have that experience to like uh emote 
with your face and because you have to do that so much with on stage with trying to get emotions across when people in the back yeah. row can't really even see you and yeah but uh i yeah I, I agree i think i think she's incredible and i was more just surprised that it because i think bong joon ho he works with uh frequently works with actors and so i was just surprised mm. he hadn't worked with her in the past or anything yeah but um yeah i yeah, some other about, things beyond um, the murder aspect of this movie is that we mm-hmm. get some more Bong Joon-ho um, class themes where yeah. she kind of... The, the portrayal of the lawyer, I think, is like the most hilarious thing. Mm-hmm. Um, just like this lawyer who's like rich, makes a lot of money, charging a lot of money, and doesn't have any humanity to him at all. Yeah. Like, the thing where he like is that they're at a buffet and he doesn't sit down to save time mm-hmm. is like so, so funny. And then later they're at the karaoke and like he just is like just a disgusting character. You yeah. know, just someone that doesn't care about people. And then there's also, like, the portrayal of the cops in this movie as, like, idiots, which he always mm-hmm. does and stuff like that. Just a very, you know, Bong Joon-ho, you know, we, we love him. He ha- he hates the rich. He hates <laughs> the these, you know, systems authoritarian of government. Systems, yeah, authoritarian yeah. government systems and whatnot. Um, well, that, that just goes to show, well, that's what's open. Bong Joon-ho's opened my eyes up to more with... Um, Especially, obviously, with South Korea, but um, um, common themes and common just outlooks on class systems, and mm. um, in this case, even you bringing up like a lawyer, how those are constant themes in even like in American television, and uh, like it goes as high or as broad as like sitcoms. And mm. to, for Bong Joon Ho to obviously, he's not just making or really making this to even think of uh, an American audience necessarily, but knowing the commonalities and um, the respect for that, which I think he is why so many of his movies uh, have a larger cultural appeal mm. and grow larger just out of South Korea. So. Yeah. I also just love how weird his movies are. There's just yeah. a lot of moments in this movie that go in a different direction than you you think. Like, I love just that first interrogation scene where the cops are, like, interrogating the son. There's the guy who's, like, talking about this this uh, martial arts technique or and then puts the apple in the kid's mouth and then does a roundhouse <laughs> kick and stuff like that. Yeah. It's just so funny. And then, um, yeah, the lawyer stuff, all the lawyer stuff. Um, and, and then... I really like the scene where um, the mother sneaks into the Jintae, the, the son's friend's house, and then finds Jintae with that one girl, and she basically hides in the closet and watches these two have sex, <laughs> se- have sex, and they're like saying these weird words randomly yeah. as they're having sex. So I mean, cucking is another theme throughout throughout these movies <laughs> in a way. Cucking is always a part of every movie, I'd say. <laughs> I- I'm interested for another round. Well, yeah, I guess another round. Oh, another round. It's, it's there. It's not on screen. It's not on screen. It's not on screen, <laughs> but it's there. Uh, yeah. Uh, no, and um, what was I going to say from that? Oh, it's it, it feels like, uh, in a weird way, one of Bong Joon-ho's more um, like subdued and not quite as... I wouldn't say it's predictable, but obviously mm. more narratively... Mm. straightforward structure structured. yeah uh, yeah i mean that's I mean, just the genre he's working within exactly but just for a movie that's literally about a 
a mother whose son is a, accused of murder and she going through trying to clear his name. That is a pretty straightforward premise that, I mean, has been done before. Well, yeah. We even talked about, oh, no, it's not like, I was going to say it's like peppermint, but that's kind of not. There's no, no, there's only kids that die. Yeah. Uh, but you know what I mean? Just of it yeah. being. There's some good twists and turns here, though, that are very, like, character driven and very, they hit hard, you know, mm-hmm. they hit hard. And especially in that last third, and especially just the fact that he, he's, he also, he's, he, like you're saying, these tropes of the genre tropes, also in Memories of Murder, there's a little subplot where they think that the mentally handicapped uh, person in that movie was the murderer, and then that per- mm. that that kid was obviously innocent. But now in this movie, he starts off with that same idea, expands the audience's uh, subjective point of view that's like, oh, this kid's definitely innocent, and then mm-hmm. just completely shows us by the end of this movie that the kid just brutally murders this girl. Mm-hmm. Exactly. In a very matter-of-fact, formal, still wide shot. It's, uh, yeah, it's just... He knows how to direct a movie. He knows how to restrain himself and when to play. Mm -hmm. And a way that's not, that doesn't feel unearned of, Mm. because I mean, some, in some cases of that, where you you are going through the first like two thirds, still maybe questioning, well, did he do it? Like, Mm -hmm. we want to, we want to believe that as well. Mm. Yeah. And And as an audience, oh yeah, keep going. Sorry. No, you're good. But just to like, for so many lesser movies, they would, it would feel like a cheap trick to Mm. show us like different perspectives of, well, Uh. yeah, we saw him go into that building with that girl. Uh. The, the, um, the garbage man, like seeing seeing the whole thing actually mm. happen, essentially. Yeah. And, but still, kind of questioning. But then having that full static mm. shot. To, yeah. For you to not even question, like, mm. oh, well, maybe it's subjective, or maybe this person was lying, or this mm. person didn't see something that yeah. they thought they saw. Yeah. It's and like, like no. Yeah. Yeah. Just guy going back to that burning thing again. The subjectivity is like. Like you're saying, showing us very specific things for us to create our own narrative. Like it's not, it doesn't feel cheap because the audience is getting in on the same mm-hmm. thing. They're wondering, they're getting into the mystery and they're forming narratives. Like when we see the like flashbacks of the girl that gets murdered, we start seeing all these clues and different things. We're like, oh well, yeah, maybe this girl's like, maybe this girl's bad. Maybe she did something wrong. Mm-hmm. And then we see Jin Tae with the golf club picking up the golf club or whatever the night of the murder. And we're like, Oh yeah, maybe Jin Tae did it. We start forming this narrative the same way as we're following this character. We're following the narrative and like, yeah, this person did it. This person did it. We're so we're just creating our own subjective things. Just two plus two equals whatever, you know? Yeah, exactly. Uh, It's so, yeah, that's, I mean, the study and subjectivity, I think is even more a through line of from burning to mother. I don't think another round necessarily has that quite yeah. as much, but yeah. Um, yeah. From burning to mother. So, uh, was there anything else for mother you want, we wanted to, yeah, discuss? I guess just, uh, another thing, just another thing connecting burning to mother and, uh, another round is just, just, um, fragile men turning violent, you know, the fragility mm-hmm. of men, like, like he really only gets violent. The son gets violent when he's called, uh, to quote the movie many times, they say, they call him a retard. Mm-hmm. And they set that up throughout the movie. Like, uh, they call him that and then watch him get violent and watch him get angry and stuff like that. So Yeah, that is a good point. And um, I'm glad you brought that up too because that is not even hinting but broadly saying, like, well, wh- how look at the multiple times that the, like, 
you're actually watching him react to the uh, word and yeah um it it's not it makes it so i mean with the subjectivity um are you just putting it putting putting the facts that um he's a mentally handicapped person mm. and that you yeah. feel bad for him yeah that, you like, like, oh, feel bad, like you're on his side yeah but then like, you uh, hear like no he or i heard um this woman that was murdered call him that and mm. But for you to still believe, like, well, maybe, you know, <laughs> yeah, he hurt her but didn't kill her, like that kind of a thing. Yeah, and, yeah, that's I, that's why this movie is so good compared to other movies in the similar genre. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it really, it's playing. He's playing with the audience and he's really subverting what we are going in with, which mm-hmm. is great. Um, but actually, can we talk about like just Bong Joon Ho in general? This is like this movie is the kind of type of Bong Joon Ho movie I like. I think. A Parasite, of course, five out of five movie. It's a pretty much a perfect movie, but I think mm. my thoughts on Parasite is that it's too perfect. It's too tight. It's too too perfectly done in a way where there's no wiggle room for you to get in there and expand your own ideas on things or like to think about. Which uh, Mother, I think, you know, leaves a lot of wiggle room. It's not perfect. It's there's some mm. messiness to it, but there's something about it that really you could get in there and get lost in it. Which yeah. I think Parasite. If, Everyone agrees it's a great movie, but it, Parasite doesn't have that element to it. Yeah, because right, it's just... not like you can look at Parasite and necessarily believe like, oh yeah, the like the rich family was the and mm. and talking about like burning with like mm. the way that we are we've we're ta- we've been talking about putting uh, thinking of Ben as the the hero or the protagonist. Sure, mm. you can look at the good things about uh, every character in Parasite and just. Mm kind of in some uh some mm. cases the um the the basically the stupidity of some people yeah be, turns to be charming but yeah. you also know that a lot of these people are in the wrong and mm. you're it's not not really um uh, I, I wouldn't say it's a black and white movie of being uh, just like it's what yeah you, you know this straight down the line but it's mm. not very open for yeah. interpretation I, like this. I think thing. what it is is that I, th- I think what it is is that Bong Joon-ho in, with Parasite is in such control of the audience for the whole movie that it's like we're on a roller coaster ride. Like mm-hmm. it's a great fun roller coaster ride and afterwards, you know, yeah, that was fun and that was great. But then Mother is like compared to a roller coaster ride, a movie like Mother or Burning is like you're taking a walk in a you're taking a nice walk in a forest that has no construction to it. Like you choose your own subjective experience as you're going on this walk and you mm-hmm. take different things out of it and you come back with a nice experience that you could think about back on and whatnot. Yeah. Rather rather than, you know, the roller coaster ride that is Parasite. That is great in its own way, but yeah. Uh, um and I mean then go in so with his other movies, I mean so I've never seen, which we've talked about. I still haven't seen like Memories of Murder, and I haven't seen Barking Dogs. Never oh quiet. man, Memor- but, you haven't seen Memories of Murder. No, that's yeah, just like because you've yeah. recommended it a few times, and I still need to watch it. Yeah, so. it's on Hulu now. Yeah, you should definitely watch that. that. Uh, Barking Bo- Dogs Never Bite is like there's some interesting moments, but de- definitely doesn't come together. And like mm-hmm. Bong Joon Ho is like embarrassed by it now too. But yeah. yeah, and then the host, I think we both love right, and yeah. that's my first of his movies, and I just love that movie. Same. Um, for its messiness again, it's messiness and it's a weirdness, but yeah. And um, then Mother, we both like this movie a lot. And Snow then Piercer Snowpiercer, I love Snowpiercer. Some people oh, yeah. don't like it, but I love Snowpiercer a lot. No, I'm a big Snowpiercer fan. And then I think that's I love an... Snowpiercer. Hey, just, just had to sneak in there. Great movie. <laughs> uh, but going, I mean, going from 
going that's an interesting period of his career of his mm. two american mm. uh, netflix movies netflix. yeah well cuz i don't even snowpiercer was so weird of oh, yeah, snowpiercer was a weinstein movie yeah so, cuz it i mean with weinstein just dumping dumping movies he doesn't think are going to necessarily be yeah. uh viable but it, yeah. that is such a weird thing of it um it being the both cultures of South Korea and America and uh, it not translating in the way that it almost should. Cause I mean, you uh-huh. have one of the biggest like worldwide, one of the biggest stars with Chris Evans in it. And then, mm-hmm. but also uh, what you have like uh song Kang Ho and uh, like a lot of a great cast that should be able to kind of sell it just from that and then go uh-huh. ahead and, from that going to uh, go on to be like a more international hit. But I think mm. it suffered from Harvey Weinstein having his fucking fat fingers on. <laughs> yeah. But, um, um, and, yeah, but that's not even talking about the uh, actual quality of the movie. I'm, mm. yeah, I'm a big fan of it and having similar themes of class systems and everything mm. and, and all of his other movies. Yeah, yeah. And then after that, Okja, which I think is great, but doesn't come together fully like his other movies. It's still fun. Um, and then Parasite, of course. But Yeah, because yeah. I think Okja just, I, I at least during that period of it being one of the first Netflix movies, I think a lot of those early Netflix movies just kind of suffered for, um, I, I don't I don't know what it is. Um, just I, I don't think during that period a lot of those movies came together. They had a lot of great concepts and even in, in that case specifically, like a, a great director. But a lot of them, I don't think, came to the fruition that they could have. Like, I mean, yeah. that, that would have been the same time. Obviously, these are very, very different movies. But that's the same time, like, Netflix had their hands on uh, the Death Note movie. And having in like what else? Um, basically, anything before The Irishman, I think Netflix didn't really know how to completely fulfill um, or give full trust, I guess, to their directors or anything. Mm, but yeah, and just suffered from that. But uh, still, I think Oak is a really good movie. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess let's talk about another round now. Thomas okay. Vinterberg. It's another round. Uh, with the synopsis saying, another round is a fun, moving, life-affirming, and thought-provoking drama about friendship, freedom, love, and alcohol. <laughs> uh, Again, Hulu just coming up with the worst synopses. And it just That's... being the a, a still of, which I think this is the like, poster too, but the still of yeah. uh, Matt Mickelson just like, dancing in champagne yeah and i think it's great i think it's like it's a very life-affirming movie it's fantastic in that sense but yeah it is i mean, talking about the context around it this movie won best foreign language film at last year's oscars but thomas vinterberg's uh the tragedy if you didn't understand from his oscar speech you know the tragedy around it is that his like college-age daughter who he was very close to passed away during the making of this movie like maybe two weeks into it passed away tragically and then yeah this movie for him kind of became like a therapy and just like a sense of community a sense of support where the whole cast and crew really came together for him they were able to finish this movie and make like a really beautiful 
testament to life itself mm -hmm. through this movie. Uh, and alcohol, it, of course, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so basically the opposite of Justice League for Zack Snyder. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, uh, but yeah, I didn't know that because I, I – I didn't watch. I haven't watched the Oscars in what, like, two, three years now. Oh. But um, I had seen it uh, another round and had just heard all the buzz surrounding it. But I'm also mm. a very, I'm a big Mads Mikkelsen fan. Oh yeah, God, come um, on, he's a hunk. He's, he's a hunk. In, he's so good. He's the I only person Mads. that can look that kind of weird, but also <laughs> be like a beautiful man. And he's what, so he's good like, in this movie. He's, he's so good in this movie. Fantastic in this movie. And. Again, that's I think that's an issue I do have with like talking just about Academy Awards and everything, but not recognizing the international performances because everybody mm. talked about that with with Parasite specifically. Yeah. I think that was like the real like opening of the floodgates for general public even to agree like yeah these mm. these are the best performances we've seen all year. But same thing with Mads Mikkelsen in this. I mean that for how bare of a year 2020 was for mo for movies and picking those really good performances and honoring yeah. them. I think he's yeah. pretty fantastic. But aside from that, um, yeah. So uh, yeah, this movie is about like these, these four, fr these four friends all in the midst of midlife crises, you know, their parents, they're all uh, professors at this high, uh, high, high school. Um, and they, they, uh, they each have their own problems. They're all their lives aren't going nowhere. But then they decide to test this theory out, which is basically humans are born with a blood alcohol level 0 0.05 too low, and so they start drinking during the day to increase their their life performance and their schoolwork and just you know be happier. And of course, they get what they want, and it goes a little too far, and things fall apart. But then things end on a good note again. Yeah. But yeah. It is, I, I think, which I agree that the overall ending is supposed to be, like, hopeful. But yeah. it is, it still does have that melancholy feeling of it being, like, these guys aren't fixed or anything like that. Yeah. It's, these are the problems that are still going to persist. And that yeah. um, that being, like, the, what I was going with, um, with a through line being these, um, in some cases, like, OCD tendencies or... Um, I'm trying to think of a specific, or just even our outlook on what is the truth like in burning. Mm -hmm. um, this being like trying to find that difference maker by uh, drinking alcohol and just yeah. thinking that that's going to kind of fix everything. Mm -hmm. And once and seeing that excess of mm. it does it actually help them out and they're doing yeah. better in school they're uh, or with their with their students they're mm. doing better f within their families but mm. then having that greed almost of like mm. well yeah. there can just always be more there can always be yeah that that greater sense yeah it goes too far and they start ignoring the truth in front of them which is that you know the families are suffering their jobs are maybe it's getting very irresponsible they start to get into this very subjective point of view where oh yeah alcohol is great but at the same time everything around them is actually not great kind mm -hmm. of thing but um i think i really like about this movie and the ending is that even though that's like the alcohol leads to the dark night of the soul kind of thing the crashing in the end of the second act by the end of the movie 
the celebration at the end, they're still drinking alcohol, exactly. which is like, it's not like they're all like Puritan now. They're all straight edge now and like having a good time. No, that's not the point of the movie. The point is like kind of moderation. and like Exactly. That's uh, what I really appreciate with this too is like, and not that I have, because for some people, like their way to find that happiness is mm-hmm. sobriety or for mm-hmm. some people it is moderation in that sense. And you can, mm-hmm. I mean, even take that away from just alcohol, like with life in general of mm. not, um, not having that greed and that want for, well, this, like my life can get so much better, not through actually acknowledging the, the problems that are in front of me right now. Like mm-hmm. just kind of finding those easy solutions rather than mm-hmm. actually working at it. But, and it also, it differs itself cause it could, it's not, it's not a biopic or anything, but so many biopics have that where like, the main character, the, the musician, has an alcohol problem, and then I hate ends, that so much. I hate and that. And it ends with them like, "Oh, I'm sober. I'm never slipping up again. Life's perfect." This movie yeah. has that where it's like, yeah, except for Star is Born, you know, where he kills himself because <laughs> he can't escape it. He can't get over it. Exactly. Uh, but uh, and I, I think that's it in some of those scenes. So there's um, after um, Mads Mikkelsen has that big blowout where him and his wife um really address their issues and yeah and he realizes he's, he's been a cuck yeah <laughs> and he's just like plastered and he actually gets violent in that moment and yeah like th- starts throwing glass and everything but uh like going from that scene to their next meeting um like she orders a glass of wine in front of him mm. and like in some yeah. movies it would be like that's such an awful thing that she did. Like, <laughs> yeah. And I, I don't think it's necessarily portraying it like they don't comment yeah, on, on it at all. She exactly. just orders some wine, which and, is but, And like, yeah, not being about that. Like he needs to get over this, like this addiction. It's all mm. them yeah. actually, uh, facing the problems that they're, they have in their lives. Mm. But yeah. Yeah. Uh, and even aside from Mads Mickelson though, I really think like across the board, all four, of the guys are like mm. really good. And, yeah. Um, they all have a different vibe, a different personality that mm-hmm. they bring to the table. Um, yeah. This whole movie is just really fun. The whole cast is fun. The whole, the whole first half of the movie where they're just having a good time drinking is like, yeah, this is, this is fun. This is fun. Yeah. Um, and I just mean, seeing, and then, yeah, yeah. Oh, and just like the, the after effects of it with, with, uh, I, I, it's well directed in seeing, more specifically just Mads Mikkelsen, but of how mm. disconnected and despondent he is from home and work. Yeah. And then through good direction, but also just Mad, Mads' uh, performance, mm. how exciting and, like, it becomes fun to watch, like, all those teaching scenes. Yeah, um, yeah. I, t- I tear up uh, when their their coach friend goes and is playing soccer and there's little Specs kid. Yeah, yeah. Is getting bullied and then he... Uh, teaches him how to, or any, like he encourages him, and uh, he gets a, the the goal. Yeah, I tear yeah. up at that part. It's, it's good. It's, it's really it's good. It's it's life affirming. It is, but yeah. Um, and then another interesting thing about this movie is like uh, Thomas Vinterberg. He's one of the Dogma '95 filmmakers, mm-hmm. like Lars von Trier and whatnot. Kind of started that kind of thing. So like, it's very interesting to see this director that started out doing his very like indie very kind of against the grain kind of movies mm-hmm. this movie is actually very structurally uh typical it's like pretty stereotypical structure where yeah you know the and like the for the way it's shot and stuff is all pretty normal 
Uh, so it's like just it's a strong conventional story in a way, but it works. And it's just coming from this this guy who in his youth was very out there, very rebellious filmmaker is very interesting. I think too to look at. Well, I didn't even realize too. Uh... That he directed The Hunt with Mads Mikkelsen. Oh, too. yeah, yeah. yeah cause that, <laughs> that that movie would have been more fitting for these trio of, yeah. <laughs> of movies. <laughs> exactly. And, but that being the... Um, I, I think that's kind of the crossover moment from Mads Mikkelsen. Because from mm. that, he got uh, Hannibal. And then that just oh, launched yeah. his career. But seeing that they the two of them work so well together. Mm. Um, and not even having to... Cause, I think that's kind of that was an early issue with Mads Mikkelsen of being so villainous in all of his roles. Yeah, not even casted into that, and not even that. Um, his his he was like he was obviously typecast into that, but he was he was able to do more with the movies than just that. Like um, with Hannibal being such a uh, multicolored character in his personality, and like mm. you're. I, I I haven't watched all of it, but just knowing its internet fandom of it being <laughs> yeah. like him being the more likable character in all the <laughs> ways. Yeah, it's really good, and the last episode especially is really really good. So I definitely worth finishing. But... Yeah, but uh, and just but seeing movies like this, and I hope that evolves more into him even coming into more comedic roles in like American <laughs> films or anything like that. But yeah. It's They're doing an kind of, American remake of The Hunt. Did you know? Or not The Hunt, of of this movie, of yeah, Another with, Round. With Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about I mean, because I'm never really big on the re, like American, American remakes. remakes. And, yeah. Well, and especially with uh, this being like an actual semi-hit in America. Yeah. It's just like, well, what, what, I, sure, I love Leo, and it, it'd be kind of fun to see him in this role. But yeah. I, I couldn't see them necessarily uh, doing anything new with it. And my yeah. worst fear is that they would take it the, like, average route. And it would be about Leo, like, mm. giving up the drinking and it just being focused on that. Yeah. But, um, I mean, yeah, this movie's already so conventional. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's great. It's great. It, somehow it works really well and it feels unique and individual. But, like... Just saying, oh, I'm going to do an American remake of this with this story. You just already have like a bad idea of where it's going to go. It's already a conventional thing just by adding American remake in, in front of it. Yeah, because even more so than the way I, I felt about them announcing the Parasite. Like, it's not even. I guess not. It's not it's, even a remake. It's, it's like just an expanded series, like a yeah, different thing. Yeah, which is a better. And the fact that Bong Joon Ho is attached to it yeah with like, with adam mckay too i mean yeah. they're both very like socialist kind of people yeah but and then so knowing that they're crafting the story together is more enlightening versus i don't know too much about i i at least haven't read too much about where this is gonna go like um if there's gonna be much uh collaboration with uh thomas vinterberg but I would hope that at least some of it so, so that there could be a more broader story in this, maybe something that um, Thomas Vinterberg wanted to include or something that he, a piece that he, uh, as just a filmmaker, he mm. not necessarily, maybe not regrets because it sounds like he was very proud of this, but some just a viewpoint that he would like to include mm. more of that the yeah. American remake could take advantage of. But. Yeah. 
And if they're going to do an American remake, they really make, need to make it culturally um, significant to America, mm-hmm. specific to America. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. Well, I mean, is there anything else we want to say about this movie? I mean, what other similarities are there to Burning? To Burning like, well, specifically, I was trying to, like, uh, obviously, like we said, the, the dancing scene. Oh, yeah, um, the dancing. Man, what a life. That song. What a what a spanger. It's, it's, uh, I it, love it, that song. Uh, it opening with with the song and then closing it too, where the opening is almost, it, it puts it in the light of, uh, so much darker to me, not even darker, but annoying. It, it comes <laughs> across as that like fratty. Yeah. Uh, for sure. I mean, it's like, it's over uh, the bunch of school kids like partying and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So yeah. And, but then to go and it being so much more fun at the end of seeing Mads do some jazz ballet, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you have you have the uh, Chekhov's gun, but it's really the uh, the Chekhov's dance moves because uh, they mentioned he <laughs> took some dancing lessons at the start of the movie. Yeah, and then you're, the whole movie you're just waiting for him to break out dancing, and then when he finally does, oh boy, does it deliver! Oh, he does a great job. I it's fantastic. Know, I didn't know Mads's uh, background on dance, but I assume he was did, had, at least had something before yeah. this because it would be yeah. very surprising if he just like <laughs> whip that out whip it yeah exactly <laughs> there's some really good moves in there and just the way he jumps off into the water and it just freeze frames and so it's just a great great ending great, oh it is great life-affirming ending and, um, and it's just a celebration of life like, yeah i mean that's the opposite of the last two movies yep uh, we talked very about much so but um and then there's the thorough line of just the fragility of the male ego again mm. that kind of thing happening um there's no real no no violence in this movie, which is pretty good. Yeah, the, I, like I mean, that. the the I do appreciate that it's not just the like, and then one of them becomes like an abusive drunk to his wife or <laughs> yeah. something like that. It's, yeah, it does get like violent at that one point of Mads just like throwing shit and becoming scary, but that they can show it like that descent into the anger and like feeding yeah. into that that that's that can stem into something so much more aggressive and scary. And then, um, and just having, uh, the sad, at least one of, with one of them dying and just going out into the boat with his dog. And mm, yeah. Dying is sad, but, uh, it's, it's, it's sad. <laughs> but it's, it's neat. It's, I guess it's it can needed. be beautiful too, though. It can be beautiful. Yeah, that's true. Life is beautiful. That's what this movie is trying to say, I think. Yeah. And I think the last two movies are saying life is ugly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I think for me, I thought the algorithm did a good job this week. I mean, especially because I watched them in order from Burning to Mother, and then I got uplifted from this movie. Yeah, which I is agree. Nice. I was in the same boat. I mean, it was. It is a little rough to go from Burning, which isn't the darkest movie, but is. It it's such a that existential feeling and yeah. kind of like and then just it, go to yeah. mother though and it's like yeah. no the world's a piece of shit and yeah like burning yeah. leaves you floating whereas another round leaves you flying oh wow that I like that that's that's, <laughs> nice. that's very nice but um yeah, uh, yeah I mean a fun great trio. movie great movie yeah great great batch of movies this is I mean all foreign language movies foreign cinema is fantastic more people need to. Get over the subtitle hurdle, like Bong Joon-ho has said, and watch these movies, which I think streaming services really are helping because Netflix mm-hmm. has a great collection. Hulu's got a really great collection, too. And HBO's got some of those Criterion classics, too. So, yeah, just I think streaming services are really helping mm-hmm. foreign movies get out there more. So, I mean, bravo to the foreign, to the streaming services for that. 
Oh, and I hope, yeah, I hope anybody that listens to this, that's what they, that it, we're, I mean, obviously we not, we're not just like, this is, this is like foreign movie month mm. or something like that. that yeah. It is fun to have these weeks where we just maybe broaden some people up to these. And, um, like, I mean, I know for a lot of people that, uh, subtitles can turn them off, but uh. I th- I do think once you get into it and find the commonalities and everything, mm. um, it, you just don't even think about those. Uh, yeah. Those yeah. I, like, I don't, I didn't even, I don't even think about it either. Like it wasn't until we were recording this podcast. I was like, Oh yeah, these are all foreign movies. Yeah, like to exactly. me, these are just movies to me. Yeah. Um, and I, I mean, like you'd said too, with the expansion of foreign movies and Netflix and Hulu, I think we're going to start seeing, um, like the more, um, mainstream audiences watching these movies in the same way mm. that um that happened with documentaries like what uh. almost 10 years ago now once they started popping up on netflix and everything mm. and now uh, so many people that's almost the only thing they watch are documentaries and yeah. i hope that that kind of bleeds over too with the same thing with foreign movies that uh mm. since they're so easily accessible and you don't have to necessarily go out to a, an art house uh theater which I, we we do fully recommend doing that and seeking out <laughs> local theaters, but still, if you're just wanting to watch something at home, hopefully that's the new trend is more people mm-hmm. expanding and watching things like these. Yeah. yeah, I actually just saw a headline today. I didn't click on it, but it was like uh, said like 97% of uh, streaming service uh, users have watched a foreign language film in the past year or something oh, like that. Oh, that's cool. That's really so, yeah, cool. Yeah, I had to look at that later, but yeah. Um, so. Yeah, I guess should we just go into our recommendations now then? Yeah, sounds good to me. All um, right. Let's see. Uh, you want me to go first? Yeah, you could go first. Either oh, way, yeah. I was just pulling up what I had. Okay, so I feel like you always go first, so I always make you go first, so I guess I'll have to go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so my first one, so based off of Burning, if Burning is the main pick of the, mo- of the week, my recommendations, if you like Burning, first one is Creepy. Uh, 2016 or 17 movie directed by Kiyoshi Kurosawa. It's a Japanese horror thriller from the master of J-horror. Um, it's really like a proce- cop procedural, but there are some pretty fun, sinister things going on with it. Basically, this this ex-cop, after botching a negotiation getting injured, this, this co- ex-cop becomes a professor teaching criminology, moves into this new town, but the house he moves into has a neighbor that's pretty creepy. And from there, <laughs> you can kind of guess what happens. But the, I mean, knowing knowing what happens, knowing where it's going isn't a bad thing because I think it's just so fun <laughs> watching what how it goes down. And it, there's some interesting things going on there. And Kiyoshi Kurosawa actually uh, described this as a movie that he was pretty influenced on. Now you can see some Parasite vibes in it. Um, but yeah, this is a great, fantastic movie they should all check out. Yeah. Um, and then my next one from Burning director Lee Cheng Dong. Um, this movie called Poetry that he did in like 2000 something, I don't know, 2010 maybe. Um, but this movie is about a grandma who takes care of her grandson and they live in a small town. A girl has been found dead in the river. And eventually she figures out that her grandson was a part of the group of boys that killed the girl. So it's kind of similar to mother actually, Hmm. but I think it's just, um, 
you know, through a line of overprotective mothers and bad mothers in these movies and Burning and Mother. Um, but like the just the it's a it's a thriller in a way, but it's a very subdued, quiet thriller where every scene there's some sort of moral quandary in it and some difficult things to parse through as you watch it. Uh, but um, yeah, I think. Highly recommend checking out his other movies. This is a good choice um, because that guy, he, you know, he started directing when he was like 40 or something. He did like theater beforehand. But yeah, this guy's just throwing out some fire movies, including Poetry, Burning, and Secret Sunshine. Um, but yeah, so definitely check out that one if you can find it. Um, and then my last recommendation is a movie I actually just saw in theaters recently. Um, it's uh, Matt Damon and Tom McCarthy's oh, Stillwater. <laughs> Hey. This movie surprisingly has a lot of similarities to Burning and um, Mother. Um, I'll let you guys check it out yourself. I mean, it's a movie about a American person going into a foreign land, kind of similar to Burning. And then you know, so there's some murder intrigue. There's some investigation stuff and whatnot. There's some social and political stuff going on. But yeah, I think... Um, if if you watch Burning and then you watch Stillwater, I think you'll understand the connection I'm trying to make. But I I actually really like Stillwater. I think some people might be like, "Oh, that's a Trump movie," but no, absolutely not. I mean, Stillwater is I just don't. It's way more complicated than that. Don't just like say, "Oh, it's a Trump thing," and just immediately disavow it because tom mccarthy i mean did spotlight he's done the cobbler you know he, he's a very <laughs> you can't he's a very liber- the- like, he's a very liberal guy i mean he's like he he knows what's good right and what's wrong and matt damon i think it's a very realistic good portrayal of maybe trump supporters and that that learn to be to see the world and broaden their perspectives i think and i think it reminds me of people i grew up seeing in spokane and whatnot so like i mean just it's a good reminder that trump supporters are people too and like they're flawed people too and not reminding uh quote-unquote liberals to just don't blanket hate and generalize people Mm -hmm. um i think it's definitely not a trump supporting movie for sure it's definitely not that i will say um but yeah, it's definitely a more complex look at the way America has changed and the way America is a closed-minded and isolated uh, place that can benefit from wider international perspectives. And again, just going back to our talk about international cinema, I think it's a great addition to that because it's basically an American movie that turns into a French movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think check that out. Stillwater. All right. Uh, so I kind of bounced all over the place for my recommendations (laughs) and more too because i wasn't like i couldn't really think of what would be a good good recommendations in my mind for these yeah burning burning is a tricky one to come up with because it is pretty unique yeah but because i just was looking at gone girl too and you know what i added one i i well sorry that that spoils my first recommendation (laughs) but um i added one just after hearing uh, you talk about uh, Stillwater. So, oh, yeah. Uh, but so, so first I'll go um, with Gone Girl, which I didn't realize was on Hulu, but that's It is now, cool yeah, and it's great. Gone Girl's uh, amazing. I just wa- rewatched it, what, last week? Um, mm. For the first time in, like, a few years, but with uh. the, direct, the director's commentary, too. Oh, that wow. That was I... really cool to hear, just because it's just David Fincher with nobody else, and he, mm. I think hearing him in a room with like Ben Affleck or even like Rosamund Pike or somebody, it would be almost more distracting to like hear a few different people just hearing him talk about 
his like crazy, not even necessarily crazy way, but so uh, precise way of directing was really interesting. Mm. Just to hear the the process, but. Aside yeah. from that, the uh, hold on, I, I gotta say, I, I just want to say, I think Gone Girl is my favorite David Fincher movie. Hell yeah, um, <laughs> that's hard for me, but that's it's definitely like top two. Yeah. <laughs> like next to what Social Network or Fight Club? Yeah, or... probably the Social Network. I because yeah. there's such that part of me that still loves uh, Fight Club, but yeah. also like because it, it it's bigger than its audience, obviously, and what the audience for it has become, yeah. but. Yeah. Uh, there is that like kind of toxic, like masculine toxicity that has mm. stemmed from it. When with it being so ironic that the movie <laughs> yeah. is like about it's about criticizing that. And yeah, exactly. Take it the wrong way. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, yeah, so uh, Gone Girl there, um, and then you know I was just <laughs> thinking of uh, good movies that I've seen recently, and this one has pretty much nothing to do with burning. Maybe you could kind of. Uh, connect the dots with uh, uh, re- re- uh, relationships with your parents and specifically your father. But um, I picked on uh, on Netflix um, uh, shit, cause I wanted, the Meyerowitz stories, new and select <laughs> a yeah. movie that I just watched the first time this week that I really like. It's um, really good. It's really uh, good. I think, I mean, the last five years have been, filled with some pretty great adam sandler performances but mm. i think this one kind of gets sl- slept on a little bit uh for I mean, sure obviously uncut gems he's incredible and that's probably his best performance in the mm. of, like maybe since punch drunk love but mm. uh specifically for i think uh noah Baumbach just really in the same way that um uh, paul thomas anderson was able to see in the comedies like the both the um, the real depth that Adam Sandler can play of like actually being sad, but also mm. that under the under the surface, just the bubbling, which everybody mm. talks about, but yeah. I think it, it's hard to really direct him well. Like, mm. um, I think what is that movie? Um, Men, Women, and Children, that Jason Reitman movie, just goes to show that if he's directed by the wrong people, can go wrong. He's not bad in that, but that's a bad movie, and so uh, just seeing that for his performance in that specifically, but also, I mean, Ben Stiller's really good in it. Um, mm. I, I, I still am a fan of Dustin Hoffman, the actor, not so much the person. But, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, for sure that, uh, that dynamic between Adam Sandler and Dustin Hoffman really does get you get the emotions going when he finally frees himself from his father, I think mm-hmm. is really, really good. Oh, and it's, yeah, that just that whole idea of, uh, putting your dad like putting your dad in that case on a pedestal mm. and refusing to see the real truth mm. in front of you so yeah uh, and, we, that, and when we talked about a squid in the whale you could definitely see how squid in the whale is kind of the same version of mare story and the mare with stories just more fully yeah. developed and fully matured exactly so but Meyer stories good movie um and then finally, so you you brought up a movie that you saw in theaters recently. Um, that's you know got some controversial opinions. Might as well do the same for a movie that I loved as well. Um, of course, I gotta bring up the 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 Green Knight, a movie that I've seen recently since we recorded last. Yes. Hell yeah. Me and P- producer Pierce saw it on a nice Sunday night, and boy oh boy was I personally blown away. Uh, I know. You know, there's there's always different opinions, but I think the it's 
very respectable for a uh, a movie that you know could uh, in a, in the in the climate of in the aftermath of like Game of Thrones and the Lord of the Rings to make a medieval focused movie that um, I think asks a lot of question more questions in depth about ambiguity and things like that. Um, it's just really interesting, and while it's not necessarily the like sw- sword and stone kind of movie that you'd expect for an Arthurian tale, um, just the real questions of like masculinity, uh, moral ambiguity, like I had said, uh, just a lot of themes that we do frequently talk about, but I think are exercised well. And I'm a big David Lowry fan, so um, I recommend going and seeing uh, The Green Knight. I think Pierce, right. producer Pierce does too. <laughs> I I do I do. Uh, Zach, during the first two minutes of the film, I think had already looked oh, at me yeah. and said, "This is my favorite movie ever," like three times. I did say I did say that. I did say that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so another six recommendations for the old folks. Another three great movies in the bag. Um, always great to talk with you, Dustin. Always great yeah. to talk to, with producer Pierce as well. Hopefully some of these sounded good to you. Um, and, you know, good to talk to Colin, too. Might see him soon for a surprise up. Never know. Very soon. Very close. All right. All well, right. Well, anything else before no? we sign off? All right. That's it. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Jimmy? Jimmy! Producer Priors, cut this out. Please. Jimmy! The butterfly flies north. 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 <laughs>